We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome into Washington Training Camp Live. Craig Hoffman for the penultimate podcast. Our last one will be on Monday, so make sure that you are live streaming us 1 p.m., on the Odyssey app or listening anytime, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, of course, the Odyssey app as well, on demand, each and every podcast. Uh, our guest today, known this man since, I guess, before I moved to D.C., when I was looking to come up and cover the team, I wound up talking to him uh, about the station that he worked at, which is now the station we both do. It's the Team 980, where he hosts mornings. It is the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show, aptly named for Kevin Sheehan. Kevin, great to have you on, man. Uh, Craig, great to be on. Did I advise you not to take the gig? I forget what my advice to you was. Uh, no, you did not. No, you did not. Uh, I would say, I bet I gave you some warnings though. Yeah. You warned me about a couple people. Uh, I think those were accurate. Uh, I don't know that we need to go further in divulging, uh, any of the conversation. Uh, I would say that this has worked out for me in the long term. Uh, in the short term, okay, things good. got a little dicey, but in the long term, it has worked out well, and I'm glad that we're, we're reconnecting to talk football because that is something I miss about that first gig was talking football with, with a guy like you, especially those those Sunday mornings pregame. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. I was on with Russell yesterday on his show, and I think over the years, like I, I hosted the pregame show for, I think, 14 years, 13 or 14 years, something like that. I did it with Bram originally. I did it with Russell. I did it with you. I did it by myself. Like it was, you know, it was, it was a rotate. I did it with Rigo, I think one or two years. I can't even remember. Um, but, you know, I always liked that show. Um, in fact, I was telling somebody the other day, my favorite thing about that show was I did an interview with Sonny Jurgensen each and every pregame show leading up to the game. And it was my favorite conversation of every show. And he turned, I think uh, he, it was his birthday the other day, and I think he turned 87, I think it was. Um, but uh, I just, I loved those conversations with Sonny. Not that this is the point of the podcast, and we'll get to the no. point of the podcast in a second, but I do think if anyone's listening to this, they'll enjoy this anyway. So we can go down a little bit of a story time rabbit hole. My favorite, and really like personally, my only Sonny story was I wound up hosting a... I don't know what even to call it, like a panel discussion for sponsors, I guess. Yeah, right. Uh, it, yeah. the, the one year I was at 980, or the first time around, the, the original time. And uh, I just remember that at some point in the discussion, unprompted by me, uh, and I had, I filled in because I was like the third person in the list. I was by no means meant to be that thing, but all of a sudden, like someone had this, someone else had that, someone had a golf tournament, whatever. And I wind up hosting this panel discussion. And in the middle of it, Sonny's like, yeah, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this. And I just see all the execs start freaking out because it's a room full of sponsors who love Sonny and are basically there to see him. And, and he's going, yeah, you don't have to invest that much longer because I'm not going to be on this silly broadcast that much longer. And watching all the execs and the salespeople freak out uh, was was quite a delight. Um, 
But I know on your show today, as we, we turn to football, uh, on your podcast, you had Santano's longtime favorite of mine, longtime favorite of everybody's. Um, what, what was the, the big discussion? Obviously, I'm sure he has incredible insight into the receiver position, uh, given his background and, and uh, his expertise. But, but what was the big takeaway from the, the conversation with Tana? Well, it's, it's funny because I'm sure you have felt this way um, every once in a while um, after an interview. I, I I, I called Tana last night and I said, can you come on the podcast tomorrow? He said, sure. So what are we going to talk about? You know, and he does that. Not everybody will say, what are we mm-hmm. going to talk about? And I, and I, and I basically said, well, we're going to talk about football, but really what I've never done with you, meaning Santana is I've never talked like a lot about you. Like we've interjected various stories here and there over the years when I've had you on radio or the podcast or whatever, but I want to do more about you. And I just finished, um, you know, editing the podcast. I will tell you that I ended up having to break it into two parts. I'm going to run a second part on Monday because it was like an hour and 20 minutes. And he was still telling really good stories. You know, Santana, and I've known him for a while, too. He's such a good guy. He's such a nice guy. And, you know, he'd be the last person to say, hey, man, I got to go. I can't do this anymore. But he kept going. And. And afterwards, I said, I, I, you know, I didn't mean to keep you that long. He said, no, man, I really enjoyed it. And he tells some really incredible stories about his career, about his teammates, about coaches, about RG3, about a Sean Taylor conversation, about, you know, his regret of not being a punt returner more than he was in his career. So Mm -hmm. anyway, netting it out, um, I really enjoyed it. I don't know that everybody else will, but I really did. But we interspersed a lot about the current team as well. He weighed in on Curtis Samuel. He gave his thoughts on Ryan Fitzpatrick on the defense, you know, had some predictions on the team. So it was a little bit of everything. But um, I, I enjoy those where sometimes they sort of go down a path that you're not necessarily expecting. You know, Santana is always a great guy. He is, you know, not always, you know, it's not like you're always going to get the greatest of stories, but today I felt like Santana gave me some of the best stories of anybody that I've ever interviewed. So I really enjoyed it. I have a great appreciation for that specifically because my first year at the fan, Santana and I wound up doing a weekly show together. We did the Santana Moss show. Um, we were live at, at public bar in DuPont every single week. And he just started telling like the first couple of weeks, he just started telling these stories randomly throughout the show. And eventually I just, I pulled him aside and, um, was like, Hey man, like, we need, we're going to do a story time with Santana segment every week because your stories are so good that if we don't set aside time for it, I feel like we're screwing the audience. And so I went, reached out to CK and was like, hey, can we get some imaging made for this? We did it up because I just wanted I, I wanted him to dive into the story time every single week. And he is such an incredible storyteller on top of having, I mean, from the Miami days to you know the, the crew that he rolled with when he was here to some of the struggles he had in New York. He has such incredible stories and is so good at telling them. So that is definitely a podcast worth checking out. I will certainly check that out. Uh, I'm glad you shared that with us. Um, so let me just, uh, yeah. let me just say this, Craig, because you know, he, he, he would take like a question and turn it in a direction that I wasn't expecting, mm-hmm. but I was expecting to get to this. And I, I, I thought his answer was great and you'll have to listen to the podcast to hear it. But I did say to him, I said, look, you know, there's going to be 
an RG3 ESPN 30 for 30 at some point. You know, the rise and fall of RG3. It's right. it's a right. documentary. It's a 30 for 30, whatever it is. And, you know, people like Santana Moss, they'll reach out to him and they'll say, you played with him. We want to, you know, we, we want to interview you. And so I just said to him, when they ask you how he went from 2012, one of the greatest rookie seasons in the history of the NFL for a rookie quarterback to never really producing anything of note again, what are the reasons you will give them in your answer? And he, he was very thoughtful in the answer. So I, I, um, there was a lot of that stuff. I, I, it was sort of unexpected to be honest with you. Uh, Cause I know Santana, as you said, as a good, really good storyteller, he's a much better storyteller post career than he was as an interviewee when he was playing, he was a good interview, but he's a much better storyteller, and he he was great today, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, you check that out, the Kevin Sheehan podcast, uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I want to circle back. Uh, you mentioned Curtis Samuel's name, and I am now at the point, and and you know I'll be doing pregame myself this year over on the fan, and and be doing it with Logan Paul since we've had him on this podcast a couple of times, and and he and I talked about this of like when is it okay to start worrying about Curtis Samuel? And and it was kind of like you know the end of the preseason. Well, we're here, and he hasn't seen the field a whole lot. How nervous are you about Curtis Samuel from any of the number of ways that you could be nervous about a player who hasn't taken part, basically, in almost all of training camp? Well, I mean, anytime you're talking about soft tissue, it's always a concern. I mean, anybody that's, you know, followed football and is a fan of this team and wants to see Curtis Samuel has to be legitimately concerned. I mean, I I am. I mean, I it'd be great if he's on the field practicing full go next week after this final preseason game, if he isn't, well then, you know, there will really be a heightened concern because you wonder whether or not one week leading into the opener, would he, he'd even play. And remember, if he doesn't play in the opener, there are really two games in the first five days of the season. Right. So I don't know, I would put the odds at, you know, 40% that he misses the first two games of the year. I, I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I'm concerned. Yeah, I, I think it's I'm less concerned about him eventually going into the offense. Like he does know Scott Turner's offense. It's not like he hasn't Agreed. been in meetings. It's, it's all that kind of stuff. But at some point, the point was like, even if you go, oh, that's not a big deal, he does need to develop a rapport with Fitzpatrick, um, who does miss throws. I, I think that's one of the things we'll talk about in a second. But from the quarterback position, you're impressed with Fitzpatrick's decision making. You're not impressed with his accuracy so far. And part of that is timing and learning the receiver. So he's had almost no reps with Fitzpatrick, but also the fact that he doesn't seem to be getting better, that, it, that it, he just is not progressing in a way that makes you feel good about him ultimately being able to use all of this speed that he was signed for a bunch of money for. Yeah, I, I think you made a really good point, and that is, you know, we can talk about the fact that he's been in this offense, but he hasn't been in this offense with the receivers and, more importantly, the quarterback. So um, I'm, I, I, I love the signing. I love his versatility, and I think Scott Turner proved to me anyway last year that he's capable of designing an offense and play calling around it, and I think there was real um, – creativity in Scott Turner's mind when they signed Curtis Samuel. So we'll see. Yeah, of course, the irony is he drew a lot of criticism in Carolina when he had Samuel for not using him very well. Samuel's used in a very different way last year, has an awesome year. As, and then as chooses, a running back at times. Right, and then it then chooses to sign with Scott Turner again, who is now getting praised for the potential of creativity. So we'll see. 
Where yeah, but are you Turner at? only called plays for what? How many of those games that year? Uh, it wasn't a ton in in, in Carolina. Yeah. I mean, it was it was obviously Norv uh, had a huge impact, and then ultimately stepped aside. I want to say it was the game. It was against, at the Washington. Yeah, I want to say it was Rivera, the Washington. Rivera game. got hired, and Turner got elevated to OC. I think. Yeah, so not not ideal uh, for for them that year, but we'll see how it works in in twenty twenty one here in Washington. All right, uh, for those that don't get up at six in the morning or who may not have have heard your takes on the podcast, where you at on this quarterback situation? I'm going to ask the widest version of this question, and then we can have an, a discussion ensue from there. Um. Well, I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has to be the starter they signed him to be the starter they told everybody through their actions that they did not think before they signed ryan fitzpatrick that they had a starting quarterback on their team and i know that everybody or a lot of people think a lot of taylor heineke and i do too to a certain degree i thought he played really well in the five quarters that he played i thought he looked really good last saturday night against cincinnati he does one thing at a very high level He's exceptional as an athletic feel, you know, quarterback in terms of, you know, dealing with pressure. He's got great feel, great vision, great athleticism at escaping and extending. I mean, that's that's his number one weapon. Personally, I think everything else about his game is, you know, sort of average. I have no idea if Taylor Heineke is ever going to be a starting quarterback in this league. But they told you through their actions that they didn't believe it. Um because they tried to trade for Matt Stafford. And then there was discussion about moving up. And if, you know, Sam Darnold and Derek Carr and, and Mariota and all the other names that were thrown out there as, as rumors, um, we know Stafford to be true. And we know that there was a legitimate, you know, consideration to go up in the draft. They signed Fitzpatrick to start. I haven't seen anything in two preseason games that says he shouldn't. And I'm not sure I could see anything in two preseason games that would tell me that he shouldn't. Uh, it's an upgrade over what they've had, um, but we kind of know what's coming if what's coming is the first 16 years of his career, and that is he's going to have some really good games that are going to help him win, and he's going to have some soul-crushing throws at the end of games that are probably going to cost him some games. Yeah, it, it, I will say that I have been – like I. In, in, I've watched Fitzpatrick obviously over the years, but I feel like so much of the way in which we've consumed Fitzpatrick over the years is via highlights because he has these crazy games, the Fitz magic moments, and and everyone's like, oh, we got to we got to see what Fitz he did, and you know, it's a cut up, you know, insert the Chris Berman music and and all that here, um, but to actually watch him in games like we have during this preseason, um, I think the interesting thing has been that his decision making has been fairly consistent. It's been good. And, and that, to me, is how the quarterback position should be evaluated until you get a big enough sample size to go, okay, this guy's accuracy is, is obviously a problem. Um, and, and that's going to be the interesting thing is, is Fitzpatrick going to make good decisions and then can he complete the throws? And, and that seems to be what his MO is over his career, that eventually there, there are these stretches where his accuracy is so good that every decision he makes is right, every throw is on point, and he puts up massive numbers. And then the the question still, even when he's on those hot streaks, is can he get points? The best example, of course, being the Washington-Tampa game a couple of years ago where he throws for 500, they score three points and lose. Then you also are going to have these incredibly painful stretches where even if he's making the right decisions, the throws are so off 
that it's the backbreaking, you know, throws that you've talked about. It's a, it's a really high turnover, and it's it's really going to come down to how much stomach Turner um, and and ultimately Rivera have for that kind of thing. And I just I just don't know if at this point in his career, even if the knowledge is there to continually make better decisions, as we've seen with Brady, and, and as sports science gets better and guys can play for longer. I, I don't know if the accuracy is going to ever be helped by that, no matter how long this dude plays. Yeah, I mean, first of all, what you said with respect to these preseason games, I mean, I am not the one that obsesses over the first-team offense not scoring touchdowns. I mean, I think it's a ridiculous position because they're not playing that much. I want to see, you know, if they can move the ball and if the decision-making is right. And, you know, the truth is we're not going to learn anything until we see him play real games uh, in the regular season. By the way, you referred to that Tampa game in 2018 that's the only I think it's the only game in NFL history where a team had 500 yards of offense and scored three or fewer points. And he had a bunch of turnovers and the kicker missed a bunch of kicks. It was just a disaster. Um, but it was it was part of that, you know, weird run of Washington getting to six to three. It was uh-huh. like every game was just sort of a weird circumstance. But speaking um, of Berman, I know because I was there. Yeah. Yeah. You were there, I'm sure. Um, But uh, yeah, I I think, look, last year and the year before his decision making was better. Um, He had two of the most productive years, the two most productive years of his career. I also um, pointed out the other day on my show, um, the thing that Ron Rivera said about him, which I thought was interesting, and I didn't want to you know, take it as literally as, you know, um, maybe some did, but I also thought it was, as Ron would say, you know, it was interesting, maybe not important, but Ron talked about, you know, Ryan managing the game. And then he said, we gotta, you know, he, he forces some balls in practice and we need to get that out of him. Well, he's entering his 17th year. That's what he does. He's a high risk, (laughs) high reward quarterback that forces throws. So Hopefully that wasn't a big reveal to the coaching staff, and I don't think it was. But my point is, I think that they wanted, in some ways, a savvy veteran guy that that they had in Alex, a leader, that could remain upright for 17 games and give them more physically. Now, that Ryan Fitzpatrick is the opposite of Alex Smith in terms of the way he plays, but it wouldn't surprise me if... You know, they're saying, look, we have a really good defense. We've given you a lot of playmakers. We've got a guy that's going to be creative in designing an offense and calling plays. We want you to be a distributor, much more of just a distributor than you've been in the past. Let's see if that works. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if that's the way he gets coached up. Right. And the question, of course, then becomes is he actually going to listen or is he, is he going to be right. who he's been? Cause as you said, like he's 17 years in like old dog, new tricks. We know how that saying goes. Um, right. Defensively. I am, I feel very good about this, this unit and that's not at all a bold take. I do think it is less bulletproof than some of the fans would have you believe. Uh, and especially I, I can say, uh, pretty firmly as someone who is now filled in on all of the shows. Your callers have some of the wildest takes that I, I don't know whether it's the early morning thing, whether it is, you know, as, as a 
you have established yourself as a fairly level-headed person and there's like a yin and a yang thing going on. I don't know what it is, but you got some callers that are nuts and and what they they think and how strong their opinions are on some of this stuff. And I I do think that there are some questions. You're not marks. allowed to, you're not allowed to criticize my callers. Sorry. Okay, um, I'm just setting you up to defend them, Kevin. Uh, I have I have some that are crazy. I have some that are limited and then I have several that are highly intelligent. That's how I would, <laughs> uh, how I would uh, characterize and describe my, my caller base, but it changes. You know, it's funny about that real quickly. And I want you to get to your question. Yeah. But what I found over the years is that 980 in particular has a true sports talk high season because it's always been sort of the station that is most affiliated or syn- synonymous or, attached to the football team Mm -hmm. and what happens the day after labor day through the super bowl is just a completely different uh you know group that's not only listening but calling as well but go ahead that's funny that's interesting and some uh some uh perspective i appreciate for someone who's been in the chair as long as you have so to to the defense like i think they're really good i think they have the potential to be great i don't think that they're bulletproof so I'll, i'll ask you a question this way like what's the thing you feel best about on that side of the ball what's the thing that that scares you where you go hey if it goes sideways it's going to be because fill in the blank I'm with you um I don't think that they were an elite defense or a great defense last year and the thing that concerns me and it's the the most important thing in my mind is they have to be a much better and more consistent run stopping team than they were last year you cannot be an elite defense you can't be a great defense if you're an inconsistent run-stopping defense. And they got run on last year. Teams that wanted to run on them ran on them. Um, you know, and then in the playoff game against Tampa, you know, that game sometimes I think gets a little bit distorted in terms of how close it was. Look, they they were within a score and they had the ball, and they were within two scores and had the ball. It was a competitive game, and offensively they played well. Defensively, they gave up over 500 yards. Chris Godwin dropped five balls they probably would have had closer to 600 yards of offense and maybe 40 points in that game but more importantly Leonard Fournette ran through them easily like to to the tune of five yards a carry and you can't be a great defense if you can't force a team to be one-dimensional and I didn't think last year they were great at making teams one-dimensional that's the that's the step they have to take and, you know, they they address, they know that that, you know, they drafted Jamin Davis in the first round. They want to improve that that next level and certainly the back seven overall. But to me, they won't be a great defense. It'll be a good one and, and maybe a havoc wreaking one on third down with their pass rush, et cetera. But they're not going to be an elite defense without being a more consistent run stopping team. The thing to me that prevents them from being elite is I don't think they have an elite linebacker. And the more I think about it, like I I've, I don't want to sound like I'm being inconsistent for people that have listened twice a week for the last month uh, of talking about this on the podcast because I, I do think that they, they don't need to be elite to be good at linebacker because they should if everyone's healthy. And that's the other big what if. Which that's, that's football. There, that's always a what if. Um, 
they're so good up front that the linebacker's job should be easier. They have in Bostic a really smart guy who's going to be where he's supposed to be, but is not going to make any kind of crazy elite plays with any regularity. Davis is young. Obviously, you hope he develops into that, but how long does that take? Holcomb is developed into, again, very solid, potential to be very good and make some splash plays here and there because of his speed, but not down in, down out, dominant in any kind of way. And, and I do think that that is a really key part of that. Like, you need someone behind the front four that can go take over and dominate a game. And that's where you become a significantly better run defense because you just have a guy who can't be blocked, who knows how to shed blocks, who knows how to play the angles, and is always one step ahead. And to me, that's what this defense is missing. Or Jamin Davis is going to develop into that, and everyone's going to be very, very happy, and, and everyone can go, I told you so, uh, come December. Yeah, and, and, you know, young linebackers that aren't three, four outside edge rushers where you can just turn them loose typically take a while to develop. So, you know, the, the linebackers that end up having strong rookie years more times than not are three, four edge rushers where they just turn them loose and they get numbers. You know, look at some of the, you know, look at some of the three, four backers who are good right away recently, you know, Von Miller, somebody like him, TJ Watt. Um, but I agree with you. Like they, and I think it's one of the reasons you've seen and you saw last year them putting their best players on the field, meaning five defensive linemen with two linebackers. And maybe we'll see a lot of different formations defensively um, to try to become a better run stopping team. But Jamin Davis is going to be a big part of it, and his development will be a, a huge part of whether or not they turn into a better run stopping team. Although, I also think there's just the, okay, we had a full off season, didn't last year. It's also the second year of being in this system and there should be some progress just on that, you know, uh, based on that alone. The other guy that is the giant wild card on the playmaking end of things is Landon Collins. Like if he all of a sudden is back to full, full speed, really likes this defense, is fit perfectly in it and becomes the guy that, you know, Washington wasn't the they didn't pay him all that money because they were the only team bidding. Uh, there was a lot of teams around the NFL that they, I'm not saying it was unanimous by any means, but there was a lot of teams around the NFL that were ready to pay Landon Collins a lot of money. And it's harder to do from safety than linebacker, but he also is the potential like he's to me the biggest potential uptick guy that could take this defense from yeah they're really good and reliable to wow that's a really really insanely good defense in Washington I think that's a really good point and I, I think that you know it's a recent point because we weren't sure about him health wise and I think there were some other things going on look Ron Rivera and, and De Del Rio but Rivera in particular has now two or three times in the last week and a half talked about Landon Collins buying in and we know that if you're not a Rivera believer, you, you don't have much of a chance of sticking around. And I'm not so sure they thought Landon would be a buy-in guy, but he has, and he's been complimented and lauded for that over the last week by the coaching staff. And if he's healthy and he appears to be, he's a hell of an in-the-box safety. You know, I remember um, when they signed him, it was a lot of money for a safety, a hell of a lot of money for a safety. But everybody penciled him in as just a great in-the-box safety. And then there were others that said, no, 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 he's more versatile than that. I actually think we've seen enough of him to know that what he is, is he's a really good in-the-box safety. Mm -hmm. 
that's what he excels at. He's very physical, you know, and, and he's, he's fearless as a run stopper and being in that position. So yeah, it's a great point. If he's healthy, bought in, really playing the system that Jack Del Rio and Rivera want him to play, he could be a significant upgrade over what they had last year. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously we'll see how he pairs with Curl and, and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's important to remember, like Landon Collins is a $16 million a year safety and Cam Curl is a seventh round pick. And not to say that Curl hasn't been awesome and couldn't be awesome. And that, that happens in this league, but their resumes are not close at this point. So we'll see ultimately how that plays out. All right, last thing on the way out for you, sir. Let's dip into, I, I'd be remiss to have you on and not dip into some gambling. What is your favorite Washington football related bet on the board or potentially already with a, a ticket in your wallet? Oh boy. Um, I do have a ticket in my wallet and I've talked about it on the show and you know, people might get mad, but I have <laughs> bet under the eight and a half wow. um, on the total. And, and here's my, my thinking on this. First of all, I'm majorly contrarian when it comes to gambling sure. this period. It's just always been the way I do it. Um, but uh, I, I think they could be a better team and I expect them to be a better team than they were last year, but I don't know that the results will be better. I, I just think I'm not a big schedule guy, but I am a big look at all of the quarterbacks and wide receivers and offensive dynamic, you know, situations they're going to face and quarterbacks get hurt less than everybody else. So more likely than not, a lot of those top 10 quarterbacks that, that are on the schedule, they're going to face them all. So I think they could be a better team, you know, like qualitatively we'll watch and we'll recognize, you know, things are headed in the right direction, but I think they could be like a seven or eight win team and finish, you know, second or third in the division and not be in the postseason. So it was more of a contrarian play. Um, but I like the division to be wide open. I know everybody likes Dallas and Washington is like clear cut one, two. I don't see it that way. I think Philadelphia has got a tremendous defense. I think their offensive line, which was in tatters last year, if it's healthy, is one of the best. Uh, I think the Giants have talent. Um, and I just, Ross Tucker was on my radio show, I think, or podcast uh, a week ago. And he said, I just see the division as being everybody finishes with seven to 10 wins. And I can't, can't tell you which team ends up with seven and which team ends up with 10. I feel the same way, which is why I went under on them, which is a relatively high number for them. And I went over on Philly and the Giants. Interesting. Interesting. And that's typically what the NFC East is. So buckle up. We got 17 weeks worth. So that's another it's a happiness hedge. Uh, yeah, that's true too. Craig, I was it's a say. happiness hedge bet. If I, if I lose, I'm happy because hopefully, well, what I would hate is if I lose and they win nine and don't make the playoffs, <laughs> but if they win nine or 10 and make the playoffs, it's a great hedge. I'll be happy. And I'll be happy to pay the man. Yeah, the, the emotional hedge that leaves wiggle room—that's the dangerous one. Uh, so we'll just we'll just hope <laughs> yeah, that uh, exactly. There's a little wiggle room there. Let's just hope that that doesn't happen for you. Uh, the Kevin Sheehan Show, six to nine a.m. on the Team Nine Eighty Monday through Friday. Although he is on vacation for the next week, and then back in the saddle for football season as it gets going. And of course, the Kevin Sheehan Podcast as well, wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, this was great fun. Uh, hopefully, we can do this. I don't have a podcast during the season. But we'll find an excuse to talk to each other about football. How about that? Thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Good to catch up.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.